Vital Educators podcast is hosted by self-development coach, investor, and renowned educator, Ahmed Saqib. Ahmed will speak to fellow educators, young professionals, ordinary people like you and me about their life choices that allowed them to become successful in their careers. He will also delve deeper into the psychology and their perception of success, the good, bad, and the ugly. For young students, he will discuss techniques to help you with your learning and development. Ahmed is committed to helping you determine what you want to do in life. He will share his own life experiences of self-discovery and self-realization that has led him to launch this venture. So this podcast is for anyone who wants to know more about various paths to becoming successful in any profession or passion. Hi guys, Ahmed here from Vital Educators. So today I have not one, but two amazing guests on. And uh, they are, one of them's already been on the podcast as well, um, Stephanie, um, who is a CEO of Empower Hour, of course, and she's a president of the Butterfly Element. And she's an author of uh, Woman of Perfection, Perfectly Imperfect, as we've already spoken about before. And uh, she actually became a millionaire at the age of 35. And uh, we're, that's what we're going to particularly talk about today is how she um, how she did that, basically. And uh, we also have Austin, who's joining us as well, who is actually a fiduciary and he's a registered investment advisor. He's got a degree in international business and a master's in finance as well. And uh, with him, uh, all, all three of us will talk about money management. So thank you so much for joining us, guys. How's it going today? You all right? Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Thanks so much for having us today. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That was, uh, it was hard for me to introduce you guys. I must say I had to do a lot of homework on this uh, to, to make sure this all flows. <laughs> so, okay. I think I, think I will start with... We'll start with um, We'll start with Austin, actually, because obviously this is the first time Austin, you and I are speaking, um, yeah. and that's the first time you've actually been on the podcast. So I just wanted to un- understand, first of all, why this in- interest in business and finance, and how did you get into becoming an investment advisor? Um, yeah, so uh, I've always had a passion for helping people with their finances. Um, I realized that uh, financial literacy in this country is pretty abysmal. Um so I saw a need there, and it, it brings me great pleasure to see people actually dig themselves out of a hole and, and build a future for themselves financially. Um, originally, I went into the field because uh, I wanted to be where the money was, and I figured what, what better of a field to be in than that. So that's really how I got started. And uh, then I got my licensing, and um, the rest is history. So now I just uh, make financial plans for people and plan out their future, their retirement, or any other financial goals they have. So could you kindly tell me what are the top five um, investment or what are the top five money problems that you normally see with amongst people? What kind of things are they doing uh, in this particular market, in this area, uh, even in your country as well, that you consistently see the same kind of mistake keep appearing in front of you? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think it's it's very apparent when you look at the, the average uh, credit card balance uh, across America, at least, is about $6,100. Um, which, which may not be a lot to some people, but for the, for the average American, that's, that's quite substantial seeing as they carry that balance. That's forward. a lot. Yeah. They carry that balance forward many years. Um, you can see how that could be detrimental to, uh, their savings, especially when you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole. But, um, yeah, something I see really across the board is just spending habits. I, I know in America, our GDP is made up of two thirds, um, uh, consumer spending. So, I mean, that kind of explains it right there is, is we're consumers and a lot of people spend money they don't have. Um, I mean, to impress people they don't know. Um, <laughs> so that is, we're, we're very materialistic and I see a lot of people, I guess, sacrifice their peace of mind to have, you know, a material item. And I, and I think that's, that's a huge problem, at least in America. It's, it's I mean, there's so many people that are spending money they don't have and it, it it's insane, but um, and they also don't know how to get themselves out of that hole, and they don't they don't have financial literacy. I mean, finance isn't something we teach in high school or elementary school over here, and it's um, it's really starting to to compound, and you you can see how the behaviors manifest themselves because of that lack of knowledge. 
So where does that sort of um, neediness or, uh, or or I guess keep up, keeping up with the Joneses' behavior leads them to? What kind of, after being in $6,100, what kind of things is going through a person who's actually in that much debt when they come to you? Yeah, um, I, I mean, you, you kind of feel helpless. And um, I mean, there's, there's uh, Dave Ramsey always says you're a slave to the lender. And I mean, that's, that's true because you don't feel freedom. Um, when you when you're carrying around something like that, just a burden, you know, they, they don't understand what possibilities uh, lie before them because they're they're too worried about what they did in the past and how that past has come back to haunt them, um, you know, with uh, with debt. So a lot of people, I mean, they go through life living paycheck to paycheck, and that's mostly because their expenses outweigh their income. So it's it's detrimental to a person's life, and yeah, you could see it. It's a lot of people are stressed out, and, and they don't know that there's other possibilities in the world when you're living with massive amounts of debt. Hmm. And, and Stephanie, are you obviously having made a lot of money? Um, did you, was it because of the fact that you were able to control your money habits and control this, um, I guess the, the, the feeling of, uh, I'm not going to buy this and I'm going to, I'm going to control, um, this need that I have inherent need, and I'm not going to uh, spend, 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 rather save and invest. Is this how you, is this how you made your uh, fortune, I guess? Uh, yeah. So the there's several things that we that I did, actually. Well, first of all, I got somebody to help me, right? So as soon as I started at the financial firm, I had a mentor and financial advisor who helped me get from literally nothing in uh, retirement to being able to compound and, and, and create, well, one, first of all, a budget and creating a budget properly, and then savings. And then once we were doing savings, we were able to start to put a bunch of money away, start buying mutual funds on stocks, and then tons of private equity. Uh, for me personally, um, it's been massively helpful. Plus, I've also taken a huge portion of my paychecks and stock options. And that has actually um, helped compound my um, investment uh, investment portfolio. Whereas uh, I, I believe that most people in this uh, world right now are going to be more on this, the public side. So they're going to have to just just starting with a basic budget is, I would say, number one. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I, that's, I mean, if you look at that behavior, her behavior, to get back to your question is, um, usually people with money or rich people tend to buy assets rather than liabilities. Um, I mean, the, the general middle class perceives, uh, you know, vehicles as an asset when in reality, it's, it's not. Um, so their, their sense of what's valuable and, and what could actually appreciate is kind of warped when you look at the behavior of, of people in other classes, you know, the upper class, they tend to just, you know, reinvest their money. Like Stephanie said, you know, once you get on that path, it becomes addictive because you want to grow more. You, you want to see that grow. And uh, I mean, you, you put your money in good things that will actually give you back some, uh, some return. Right. And I didn't buy anything outside of my means either. So I always had okay cars. And then just recently in the, in December, I finally bought myself a nice, really nice car for the first time ever. But I had more than enough means to cover the entire thing in cash if I needed to. So, how do you justify it? How, so, I have the same problem. Like, obviously, I have a nice car right now, and I was an idiot to buy the car. I'm, let me be completely honest about that. Okay, because as soon as I had wads of, of money, I've lo- I made loads of money, of course, and it was my first interaction with, wow, I made a lot of money. And the first thing I was like, okay, I have not had a, lo- a nice car for a long time, so I'm going to get myself a BMW. And I ended up getting one. So, and I always, um, obviously the feeling is great at the start, but then obviously it diminishes. Now it's just parked outside because of COVID. I'm not even driving anywhere. So, right. so the question becomes, how do you justify uh, an expensive purchase like that to yourself? Yeah. So for me, well, one, I was really, I did a ton of research in advance. I ended up getting uh, a lease as opposed to a regular car on purpose because um, I, I needed the tax deductions. Um, and I also, um, there's a lot of things about it, but my biggest thing is I drove, I drive an hour to work and an hour home. So that two hour drive in a car that I'm comfortable in and excited to drive every single day actually made a very big difference mentally for me and actually made me want to become and go even further with things that I was working on already. So it's not that I'm a materialistic person cause I'm really not, but it was really nice to be able to look at it logically and also know that I was doing things because um, to help me mentally get to that next level as well. 
Okay, that's a that's a fair assessment. But I'm trying to um, go towards the the numbers here. So, would you justify ten percent of your salary being spent on the car or your annual salary? No, I mean, no, what would you... I, I don't even. Okay. I I think no, mine's maybe two percent. Two percent. Okay, that's a that's a great no. number. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I really, I really. A lot of money versus how much my the car payment actually costs. Jay Z said, uh, "I know I can't believe I'm quoting Jay Z, but he said a really good quote. He said, if you can't buy a thing twice, you cannot afford it.' I think that's a really that's a really good way of looking at things." We're going to touch on the same point. I mean, that really encompassed it right there. Is uh, as she mentioned, you know, she she said that she had enough um, money to buy it in full if she needed to, and I think that's a way to justify something right there. And give you the peace of mind knowing that if things do go awry or, or whatnot, then you could actually pay for that car in full if you need to. But yeah, as Jay-Z said, yeah, buy it twice. That's 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 even better. Yep, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 uh, obviously I was listening to Gary Vee the other day and he was really really mad he was really angry and uh, he was uh, shouting at the camera saying that you guys have just got stimulus checks and all of the people that I have who are my clients who people my friends who I deal with who are multimillionaires right now who have online businesses they're making crazy money right now their business have never done better in their whole lives he's he's yelling at the camera and saying to the people who are basically listening to him it's like why are you spending the free money the government's giving you right now why aren't you investing in that uh, that money into tangible assets so how do we what are the practical ways what are the practical steps that we can take in order to make sure that we or these people actually set themselves up for success rather than just splashing that money on useless things that they don't need yeah yeah i mean we're seeing a lot of that behavior in the stock market too with people gambling but um yeah to set yourself up for for success i mean you really you got to start at the basics the the fundamentals you got to look at what your spending habits are um I mean, once you address those and have a real sobering conversation with yourself about, you know, your budgeting, I think that's a good way to start. You need, you know, you need the foundation to start building on. Um, once you have your budget down, then, yeah, you need to start building a portfolio, start investing in tangible assets or, um, you know, stocks, mutual. So, so when, when people say, people say, look, uh, when people yeah. say these things, right. Um, I've, um, um, and I, I appreciate the sentiment, but, um, but I know there's a lot of frustrated people who are in America right now. Um, and especially with what's been happening with racism yeah. and all of that stuff as well. So the question really boils down to is that obviously budgeting is good. Uh, so the question that I, the first question I have, the first part of the question is that if somebody knows that they have a money problem and they need help, but uh, with budgeting, but they don't have money to help to 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 give to a financial advisor to help them budget how would you recommend that they go about answering um their problem yeah basically? i mean there's there's a lot of simple steps they could take i mean there's a ton of free apps out there where you can link all your accounts and it analyzes your spending i mean that would probably be my biggest um recommendation because it's i mean they're free you just link all your accounts and then mm-hmm. it really it really analyzes your spending and says hey you, you did this here you did that there and you really get to see mm-hmm. what you're actually doing with your money, because for a lot of people, it's it's in, you know mm-hmm. it's intangible. It's uh, you know they never see it, so they don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So could you kindly name at least um, one of those? I believe apps. Mint is one of them. Um, I know there's a whole Mint. category of apps that are similar to that. They each offer their own uh, value, um, and they have their own unique uh, quirks to them. But I believe Mint is one of them. Um, that's the first one that comes okay. to mind. That's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. One is enough. I mean, I guess, or oh, you don't need like yeah. fifteen apps or even two apps to manage the money. I mean, if you, if you, if you're all your accounts yeah. are linked in one, you're you're able to tell which ones, you know, which one. I think there's there are there are there's one called Robinhood, uh, but that's an investment yeah. app. I think um, that's in in US, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, because we'll, obviously we'll talk about investment as well. So uh, talk. Try, so you talked about building a portfolio. So I wanna I wanna understand, and, and and I'm sure somebody who's listening to this podcast right now who wants to understand money management, um, want to understand what what do you mean in simple terms? What do you mean by investment, and how can you tell from a good investment versus a bad investment? Like how can you tell a car versus a house? Like how do you know which one's better? Yeah, absolutely. One is- so I that really depends on the person. It's kind of a hard question to answer because it's whatever suitable to them uh, and, and what what their situation is. But just generally, 
I mean, there, there's a lot of good like blue chip companies. Um, you know, they're solid. They've been around for, you know, decades, whatnot. And uh, they're selling at a pretty big discount right now. You can always get into ETFs or low cost mutual funds. Um, and I mean, an investment is when you look at it, it's, it's just something that gives you a return on your money. Because if your money's sitting in the bank, you're pretty much losing money there. I mean, the interest rate in a bank is like 0.01 over here at least. And it's, it's awful. So, I mean, inflation alone wipes that out. I mean, over time. So you're losing value. Um, so, yeah, I mean, an investment is pretty much anything that gives you a return on your money um, over a set period of time that, um, I mean, I would personally recommend. It's, it's the, I mean, one of the best ways to make wealth for yourself. Um, I mean, you put your money to work. That's essentially what it is. You got to put your money to work and it works 24 hours a day. Um, best employee you'll ever have. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, just, uh, did that answer your question, actually? The, 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 it somewhat did. So you, so you mentioned, um, you, you talked about um, uh, ETFs, you talked about stocks, um, you, so, uh, and you talked about return on investment. Are there any other types of investment that you would recommend as well for people to kind of look into? Yeah, so as like Steph mentioned earlier, uh, there's private equity as well, if that suits a person. Um, that removes a lot of the volatility of the markets we're seeing right now. Um, so that might, may be suitable for a lot of people that um, have a uh, low risk tolerance. Um, yeah, there's ETFs and it, it's really a buy and hold strategy for a lot of these things. Um, the behavior you see in the market right now is a lot of people either taking those stimulus checks and, and running in there and gambling it away, or, you know, they're, they're pumping up these companies and then they're selling off. And it's a lot of people are left holding the bag like that. So it's, it, it's beneficial and, it, and it's proven to a certain extent that, Buying and holding over time, the stock market increases. As long as it's a long-term company yeah. like Apple or Google or IBM or something along those lines. Yeah, it's a company yeah. with a good foundation. And um, not that we're recommending those. I was just using those as examples. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. And of course, there are funds that invest in them regularly like Vanguard. That yeah. always invest. Yeah, so, so yeah. investing with ETFs. Yeah, yeah ETFs. Yeah. Um, and awesome. the, other thing, the other thing I wanted to mention as well is... Um, Typically speaking, uh, a person who's getting really new to the investment world, honestly, just save 10% if you can of your paycheck and a savings account until you get to $500. Once you get to $500, you can get into a mutual fund or an ETF, and it's going to make it to where you can be diversified, but still have some kind of percentage gain as well. So you'll have a little less risk and a little bit more of a gain than putting it obviously into a bond. So that, that's a good way to start. And then as that does it, continue to um, in, uh, save that 10% and get to the next $500 and then put that into another mutual fund and, and so on and so forth. And it really starts to accrue and starts to become something uh, slowly, but surely that is the one of the quicker public ways of doing it. Yeah. And I mean, to add real quick um on that, on that in that same vein i mean investing right now is probably the most accessible it's ever been to the consumer yeah. i mean you you could buy fractional shares you could start with like three dollars at some i mean less than that i mean you could buy fractions of shares so it's it's i think it's a poor excuse for a lot of people to say oh i don't have any money i can't start because i mean realistically they're never going to start with that mentality they're they're always just position because they'll never have money if you don't take that first step to actually say okay i'm gonna change this i'm gonna take action then you're gonna end up where you were you know 10 years ago with the same mentality and same spending behaviors because you didn't do anything to change that well i've just recently found out um uh, it was on the news actually uh, you know how uh, so since the pandemic happened uh zoom the company zoom its stock just went through the roof basically yeah. and then th there was a, uh, there was somebody if i recall who invested uh in zoom but zoom was trading as two different companies on it was it was zoom i uh, incorporated and another zoom basically and people started in putting their money into the other the wrong zoom basically yeah. and that the, the 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 stock price like went up by like 500 to a thousand percent in a matter of 10 days so somebody who would have invested some something like five uh, five hundred dollars or even a thousand dollars would have easily made hundred thousand dollars with a space of 10 days so it's, or I mean, actually, sorry, ten thousand dollars in the space of ten days. So, yeah. so these, uh, these, these crazy again, like you said, it's it's gamble though. 
um, and 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 it's kind of like investing in Bitcoin. I mean, actually, that's that's another good question as well. What is your uh, opinion on Bitcoin? What's your opinion on these coins? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of flaws to arguments made about those. Uh, I know people say it's anti-inflationary, but I mean, look at the look at the coin market. There's you know thousands of coins out there, and I think that in a sense uh, in itself defeats the purpose of anti-inflationary. Um, I don't know. There, there could be a, I think it's highly speculative. That's for sure. Um, I know there's use for a lot of the technology behind it. I know some banks have actually implemented it, but, uh, the use of actual Bitcoin, I think, I mean, that's, that's just up to opinion, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I was in on the Bitcoin bubble a couple of years back. I mean, luckily I got out of it. I knew it was a bubble though, when I got in, um, I mean, it's just the prices were inflated daily. It would go up, you know, $2,000. And uh, it gets to a certain point where, you know, there was a lot of people left holding that that bag. I mean, tons of people lost money mm-hmm. in Bitcoin and it was highly speculative. So I think right now, I, I, I mean, if you have some extra cash, maybe just throw it in there for the fun of it. But I wouldn't recommend it for a lot of people as like a long-term um, investment. You know, it's... It's highly speculative. Fair enough. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a very valid point. That's a very valid point. Yeah. But do you think it becoming, um, do you think we're moving away from monetary, uh, because because the fact that um, money is inflationary, uh, it, in its sense, because of inflation, it, 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 it the value of it actually goes down. Do you think we're moving away from, the, uh, from money towards coins and maybe in the future, say 50 years down the line, coins will be more valuable than actual money in terms of an asset class? It could be possible. I don't, I mean, what you see with the Fed doing right now and and quantitative easing, I mean, yeah, it's it's possible. But I mean, like I said, it's, uh, I guess that's subjective. I I personally think the dollar will be around for a lot longer. Um, I mean, the Fed uses its tools to to cap inflation or, or keep that at bay. Um, I mean, money's already an abstraction to a lot of people, you know, yeah. not many people carry around cash. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see, uh, the adoption of that being easy for a lot of people to move over to coins, uh, you know, via your cell phone or whatnot, but I, I don't think the dollar is going anywhere for a while. Fair enough. Yeah. But um, uh, because, um, if you look at history of money, you realize that dollar is not backed by anything anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's. And that's, it hasn't been backed since 1970s when Nixon came into power. Yeah. So, so, so the, the question then becomes, uh, um, and, and a lot of investment advisors and a lot of people and a lot of investment books that I've read talks about diversifying the portfolio. And a lot of people then uh, point towards investing in uh, minerals, uh, investing in, um, in, in yeah. gold, in silver, in platinum. What's your yeah. view on that? I think it's good. I think it's a good part of a diversified portfolio. They have a good point. I mean, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. Um, I, I mean, yeah, you could do those uh, those outlandish investments as well. I mean, if you have room for that. But I mean, I wouldn't allocate a ton of the portfolio to it. Um, I think it's always good to invest in, in minerals and gold and whatnot. Um, personally, I'm not a fan of gold, but that's just me. Um, I just. You know, I think people see it as a safe haven um, and tend to put their money in it. And it's it doesn't perform like that. I don't think all that well. It doesn't perform all that well. I mean, Warren Until Buffett the had it. Go down. Yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> look into what Warren Buffett said about it. I completely agree with him. And I think that it's I, I mean, a lot of people put their money in it because they're scared. But I think there is better investments with better returns. They could get their money. Into. That's just my opinion. It's, it's a comparison opinion, really. I mean, yeah. Well, there's a guy called Mike Maloney. Um, sorry to interrupt, Stephanie. I'm just, okay. just going to quickly make a point. Um, he says that uh, whenever inflation, uh, whenever recession happens, uh, people tend to move their money to gold as quickly as possible because they yeah. are scared of losing it. So yeah. he said whenever recession takes place, the best place to put all your money in, best place to invest your money is actually gold. And once recession kind of goes by and your go- and uh, market stabilizes, it's good to take your money out and start buying stuff. What's your what's your opinion on that? A and Stephanie, can you please make your point before um, before you guys answer that question? 
Yeah, I was just going to mention we also are really big into hedging against the market. So, for example, oh, okay. when the markets tend to go down quite a bit, um, like they did in the beginning of this year. Um, it had we had one of the worst quarters in uh, in a very 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 long time, and so um, with that, typically speaking, there's hedges against that that will make it to where usually there is a bull market in any market. So, if there's a bear market, there's still something and that is bullish in that market somewhere. Um, and so uh, typically in the past, oil and gas was one of those things that was against the market. So whenever the markets went down, typically oil and gas went up. And so what we're noticing is that right now oil is still down in comparison to where it was, you know, five or 10 years ago when it was at $100 a barrel. However, we believe that it's a long term investment that can be a great hedge against the actual public markets. Hmm. That's a that's a good question, but, but that's a good that's a good point. But my question to that would be: Isn't these finite resources that will eventually end? So, um, f- uh, finite resources in a sense. Well, gold is also a finite resource. So, what am I talking about? But I guess you we consume oil and gas, whereas we can't consume gold. Um, so, my question would be: Is it a good asset class to invest to versus gold when you're hedging against the market? I believe so. Yes. Well, we believe so as a company because of the fact that oil and gas uh, has over 3000 uses. And so it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And and the only reason that the um, that the oil and the oil has gone down um, recently due to the uh, due to many political moves um, and other OPEC type moves and stuff like that. There was also a lot of a lot more supply, so therefore the and, and the demand has gone down because of the COVID, right? So the COVID, so therefore the oil and gas has come down. But the the reality is is that there's so many uses, and we just don't see that that's going to be going away in the next 15, 20 years. We're not saying hold on to the oil for the next hundred years. We're saying hold on. To know for a, a a certain amount of time and we see a, a percentage gain or a profit during the losses in the market when that happens hmm. so so let me ask you this question then um so we've talked about private equity we've talked about stocks we talked about shares we talked about etfs we've talked about oil we've talked about gold we've talked about bitcoin so in short space of 26 minutes we've talked about a huge amount of asset classes and a novice investor or somebody who's get, trying to get into the market or somebody who's even thinking about investing in this they it, i'm sure their brain is absolutely mincemeat right now mm-hmm. so my question would be where uh, do you have certain books that they should start with to, in order to understand how they should start investing essentially yeah um i mean there's all sorts of online resources uh i recommend just going in the vestipedia and just you know, peeking around there, you'll find something interesting. Um, I mean, you can always Google it. That's probably the best way for books. Um, for books, I mean, personally, I'm a big fan of uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, a, random, a Random Walk Down Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I think that's a phenomenal book. Um, I, w- I don't know if I'd recommend The Intelligent Investor. That's that's kind of es- yeah, it's it's esoteric. There's a lot of information in there. I think though, it's hard to interpret. Um, yeah, I would I would stick to those two. I mean, Rich Dad Poor Dad gives you a good sense of how um, how investing could actually work for you. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great starting book. You're absolutely right. And this is the one that actually hooked me into the whole world of asset management. Yeah. And so, Stephanie, what do you have any favorites? Um, I, I'm a big fan. It's, it's much more bigger picture, but I love, um, Ah. Hill. Oh, yes. Uh, Grow and rich. Yeah. I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. It doesn't give exact basics or anything like that, but it was still one of my Mm -hmm. favorite books that I read when I first got into the business. And honestly, like there's so many books that you can read. There's so much information online. There's so many apps you can use. There's never, there's, there's no true excuse of why not to start to invest except for just not, just choosing not to make that decision. And the nice thing about where we're at in today's society is that you have so many resources and there are a lot of financial people who are willing to help the people who are just starting off. Like we, I know Austin would love to help out people and really um, get, get uh, them to the next, that next level of investments too. So, you know, there are financial advisors that aren't, won't charge them $500, $1,000 just to help them with a portfolio. So mm. there's a lot of opportunities out there. 
Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's lovely to know that you guys are doing some such incredible work. Um, what do you say to people who say, why would I want to tie my money in for next 10 and 20 years? Like, I want to enjoy my money right now. So what do you say to people like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I mean, that's just very short term thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, a majority of people do think like that. <laughs> it's, it's very unfortunate because they don't get to take advantage of, of I mean, compound interest alone. Will, I mean, just go on a calculator, uh, <laughs> go on a, look at, a, look at a compound interest calculator on, on Google. And, and you'll, I mean, it'll change your mind once you put an amount in there. I mean, you have to forego the ordinary to to live the extraordinary. And whether that be down the road, uh, in most cases it is, because most people don't have enough for retirement. And that that's, I mean, what's worse? I mean, you could spend all your money today, but what's worse is retiring, going back to work. I think that's pretty bad. Um, it's pretty awful. I mean, you could see it in a lot of the studies that are that are done here in the United States. Is uh, it was like one third of Americans age fifty five or older don't have any retirement nest egg. Mm-hmm. Well, they uh, social security would cover everything. Yeah, and I mean that that goes back to the point that I mean retirement is a is a three legged stool, and a lot of people rely on four hundred one ks or or their pensions and and social security, but the third leg of that stool is is uh, personal savings. And a lot of people don't have that, and they realize when they when they get to retirement that, oh yeah, maybe in retrospect, yeah, maybe I should have saved a lot more money, um, because they end up having to go back to work, or they haven't they have to live a different life than they had imagined. Um, so yeah, I would say just get away from that that dopamine high you get from buying things, and and really change your behavior into saving because it, it is addictive after you see it start to compound and build up. And I, I'm telling you, just look at one of those calculators. That's, I think that's the best thing a person could do is see the possibilities. Um, You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There was, there's a, there's a, there's, I think it's a joke. I don't, I'm sure it's not a true story, but uh, apparently, so, so the story is that Warren Buffet and his wife go to buy a couch and um, uh, his wife wants to buy a $700 couch. And, um, and she's, uh, and he's like, he said, I don't want to, or uh, it's too expensive. And she said, what are you talking about? You're a billionaire. You're a multi, multi-billionaire. Why would you worry about, it's only a $700 couch. And in 10 years down the line, it's not going to mean anything to you. And uh, he said, well, it's actually not a $700 couch. It's actually $10,000 couch in seven years time. Because if I had $700 and I invest the $700 and it compounds in 10 years, it's going to end up becoming $10,000. So this couch will actually, in actual fact, will cost me $10,000, not $700. So I don't know whether it's a true story or not, but I found that absolutely fascinating and hilarious uh, that if people start thinking like Warren Buffet, this world would, I don't know what would happen to this world, honestly. I think that guy is the most unique human beings I've ever seen in, in the whole planet, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, that's across the board too. It, it's insane how many investment gurus or, or geniuses or just rich people all, after listening to a lot of them, it's all their opinions kind of align mm-hmm. and, and they talk about, you know, long-term investing and compound yeah. interest. And then Einstein commented on it. He said it was the eighth wonder of the uh, who understands it, earns it, and he who doesn't pays it, you know, and it's, I mean, it's ubiquitous. It's, it's across the board and it's, people need to start listening and start opening their eyes to the possibilities. Wow. So I guess the question now becomes, uh, I think we move on to the second part of, um, of the podcast of the episode, basically is to, is, and, and this really focuses, focuses on Stephanie, Stephanie, how did you make your fortune? If you don't mind me asking, if you can't, if you don't mind telling the listeners, how were you able to do what everybody else is not doing and, and, and become this successful, you already hyper successful, but even financially successful as well. Yeah. So really it was all about that initial mindset change, right? So like it was a massive mindset change to go from, uh, you know, living very, very paycheck to paycheck and living with a poor mindset because that's what I grew up with to changing and seeing many millionaires all like Austin said, they all had the exact same theories. They all had the same ideas overall. I mean, granted, not exactly, but I mean, like very, very similar. And so uh, one of the things that I noticed uh, right away was, 
you know, when somebody would say something, I would start to take notes and, and listen to what they were saying at the country clubs or the yacht clubs or the, you know, whatever. So, um, what was really great is they then, then I started to do my budget. Like I said before, I kind of gave you guys kind of the, 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 the kind of the basics, but basically I did, I started my budget, started to save right away, start putting savings into mutual funds, put the mutual funds then into stocks, then put more money into more mutual funds and stocks and bonds, a little bit of bonds, not really much. Uh, and then I started really taking a huge percentage of my paycheck in stock options. The stock options are what is make you the most money. And that is if you're an entrepreneur or even in a company. So if, if a company offers um, opportunities to become a, to become an owner or a, a company, have company shares, there's, you're going to have a higher chance of, of obtaining uh, a bigger percentage uh, a gain over the short, a shorter term period. And the reason I say that is because typically if you're working for a company and you know that you're showing up every single day and you're, you're trying your hardest every single day, you know that those shares are are heading in the direction, or you think that they're heading in that direction for as long as possible, especially within the pi- private equity world, as versus the public, because the public can determine whether or not the company's value is there, that market cap. But um, but what I really did was I just did that basic stuff, like literally, it was just very very basic, very easy. And then of course I got into some more difficult um, stock investments, like. Um, housing, the housing market, um, oil and gas, uh, got into, obviously into the investment firm. I got into, uh, uh, just kind of an array of different, uh, private equity worlds. And then the private equity is where the mass percentage gains have come from. I mean, from, yeah, I think the minimum percentage gain I've gotten in the private equity world is 66 or 70%. Love it. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And what what returns were you getting? 66% is awesome. What return were you getting with mutual funds and stocks? Minimum of 10 to 15% annually, if not more. And for mutual funds and for stocks, it was between 20 and 25% minimum. Um, I actually saw many times where on stocks we were making like, you know, 30 to 50%. But I I remember getting in at the Mm -hmm. right time. And again, I had an entire research team with me. I was doing what the company was Mm -hmm. telling our clients to do. Hmm. So, so what would you say to a, what would you say a one man band somebody who's on his own trying to invest because they don't have a company with them they don't have people behind you uh, behind them uh, kind of doing all the research what should they do in that case uh well just starting starting their their starting their portfolio at all and they can go to like a fidelity or a robin hood or whatever and just start portfolio and they can buy something simple like a, a mutual fund at like Oakmark or a mutual fund for Vanguard and just find one of the higher Morningstar ratings with a high percentage gain and they're likely to get whatever percentage that is offering. Interesting. Okay, yeah. wow. And for those of again, I'm I'm trying to be as basic as I possibly can because yeah. I realize I a lot of people <laughs> don't have uh, don't have a lot of financial knowledge and they don't really understand certain terms. So I guess either you or Austin can answer this question. So somebody's wondering right now, what's the difference between a mutual fund versus a stock or a stock option? What does that mean? If you could clarify, please. Between a stock option, um, so mutual fund, um is usually traded after uh, the market closes. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible without getting into the uh, stock options um, in regards to private equity, I assume mm-hmm. you're, you're talking yep. about. Um, so they, they give you the option when you, when, when you do your initial investment, whether that be for financing the firm or, um, yeah, most cases financing the firm, some sort of mezzanine finance or uh, loan. Um, they give you the option to buy shares at a set price um, as you contributed initially. So they give you that option to buy shares of their company um, at a set price. And sometimes when they actually uh, issue those shares to other investors or the public, uh, the shares that you're locked in at are at a lower price than what they're offered to everyone else mm. at. Is this before an IPO? Yeah, it could be before IPO. Um, yeah, so so in Steph's case, uh, yeah, it's before IPO. The company's still private, but they're actually issuing, they issued a PPM, so the, uh, a private placement for other um, qualified investors. And then they may issue the stock out for, let's say, $2, but 
Steph has a, uh, she's locked in at a dollar per share uh, for that amount of shares. So you could see the difference there alone will make her money um, on what they offer it at. So a mutual fund is probably more accessible to most people and more appropriate to most people. Um, unless you want to, I mean, if you, if you have the capital and want to get into private equity, then yeah, I would say definitely reach out to one of us. But, um, but yeah, mutual funds in general, ETFs, uh, they're on the kind of the same page. ETFs are traded throughout the day. Um, the costs tend to be a little less. Um, they're taxed a little different as well, but we won't get into that. Mm, too. Much. Of course. Um, we can talk about tax another time. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's subtle differences between the two. One's traded throughout the day, and, and one's uh, traded after hours. But uh, well, not after hours. Why does that matter? Like, why create an asset class like that? Um, it's all about uh, now the net asset value. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're getting into the weeds now, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how can I explain that? Can I can I do it real quick? Yeah, go. Okay, so basically, the difference but it's kind of like the difference between a stock and a mutual fund. The mutual fund is basically like a basket of stocks. There's over usually roughly around 200 to 300 stocks in this one specific mutual fund, and basically with that diversification within the mutual fund, it will have several different kinds of companies in it. So uh, there could be a um, a mutual fund that has a couple different sectors in it, like financial and consumer cycle, right? So they'll have some they'll have some um, some companies like Google or Facebook or um, some. Amazon, but they'll also have companies like Home Depot, Walmart, or Costco. And basically what they do at the end of the day is they average where everything's at at the end of the day. And that's kind of what the nave is, is kind of overall. I'm trying to do it very, very basic here. Um, and then a stock is literally just the company itself and what its actual market value. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I, you're hundred percent right. That is correct. Yeah. That, that was fantastic. That was amazing. By the way, you should be a teacher. You should be teaching this stuff right now. I'm telling you, that yeah. was awesome. Um, also, yeah. uh, uh, Austin said something really, really, uh, really nice earlier. He's talked about stock option and having the having the um, uh, option to buy stock before it goes onto the market. Yeah. So the question I have for Austin, but in particular, is yeah. that how do somebody access that? First of all, how does somebody? Uh, so, because so, so, obviously it's going to go onto the market, and I can somebody's thinking I can only buy it on the market. So where would I access stock options from? Typically, they're oh. either at their company or their uh, private equity. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump. No, in. no, that's he asked you. no sorry. Perfectly, perfectly fine. Yeah, just what she okay. said. <laughs> no, okay. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Um, because uh, and also for those of uh, people who are listening right now and wondering about stock options, let me tell you, I have actually invested in stock options myself, yeah. and I have lost money because a company was overvalued. So that can happen. Company can be overvalued and you can lose money afterwards. Now, I haven't really pulled my money out. So I'm still hoping in like 20 years time, the, 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 I will recover all of my money back and get more. So, so I mean, I haven't really made any loss, but it's important to for people to do their due diligence beforehand and try and understand that a company can be overvalued. So you can buy uh, a, a, dollar, a dollar stock and it might not go to $2. It might I'd start trading at two dollars but it'll go quickly go down to like 40 40 40 pence so, yeah. so or 40 cents i think that's cents working actually not pence is in the, in the uk yeah so so yeah so so it's very important for for people to actually do their research if they want to become active investors but i'm i've always been and i since then i am a very uh, big advocate for passive investments so i love etfs I love yeah. Vanguard and I have invested most of my money there and you're right you're 100% right my portfolio has grown over so one one account is at 40% plus 43% yeah. or something um private e- with private equity I don't know when so I don't un- really understand private equity I'll probably I'll be completely honest with you Do, if you mean by private equity uh, buying properties yourself rather than as a group then that's what I'm doing in terms of investing money into the property market. But what do you mean by private equity, by the way, just to clarify, just so I can understand as well. Um, so typically what private equity is, it's actually like a company that um, is is uh, issuing stock before it goes to an initial public offering. So 
I'm going to go this in very basic. Okay. So Facebook was a, um, an, a pre IPO or a private equity company about eight years ago. And they were selling their private equity stock. It started off at a dollar a share, a couple bucks a share, went up to $5 a share, $10 and it kept going up while it was still in private equity. Okay. And there are certain firms that will sell private equity to accredited investors. Okay. Um, so once Facebook went to an IPO initial public offering, that's when the public was allowed to buy it. But before that, it was only welcomed to the people that were it was offered to at that moment. And that's why it's called private equity as opposed to the public markets. Yeah. They, they issue it to, to finance their operations. You know, yeah. if they need to bring money in because they want to grow um, and they're still in the private market, then, yeah, they issue shares out so you can become a shareholder beforehand. Okay. Yeah. So my question is, how do you become, how do you become, uh, 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 you mentioned um, investor, you mentioned a term, how do you become a accredited investor? That's the word you used. How do you become that? Uh, so there's accredited investor is a term used for somebody who has a million dollars of, of um, uh, uh, capital. capital, thank you, uh, of their portfolio. Um, and, and I don't mean just their portfolio as in like, um, just their actual, uh, net worth. Yeah. It's their net worth. Exactly. It has to be a net worth of a million or they have to make thousand dollars a year, which is very easy to do here in the United States. I don't know about the UK, but I'm sure it is too there. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you just have to make $200,000 a year um, and you can invest in any private equity uh, that is offered to you. Um, and again, there's certain firms that offer it. There's a lot that don't that is under uh, half a million or a million a share. Ah, a- I love it. I love it. And that's where you made your 66% return, right, Stephanie? I'm yeah. sorry? That's where you made your 66% return, right? Yeah, a lot of it was uh, the, through the private equity because I had done major due diligence, like on the oil and gas. I actually have myself, I have selfies in front of the actual oil pumps, like, and and I, I met all of the the board, and I mean, I really went above and beyond on my due diligence, and um, that was on purpose so that way I didn't invest in my money or in my options uh, without knowing for sure that it was going to be something that would continue to grow, and it has done nothing but continue to grow over, over the last like seven years. So, so, so let me ask you this then, um, how do you, so you talk about due diligence, right? How do you go about doing what, what to you is proper due diligence? This question is for both Austin and Stephanie. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to look at who's running the company first. I mean, if we're talking about a private mm. company, that is, um, so yeah, you got to look who's running the company, what kind of fundamentals they have, you know, their balance sheet, income saving, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to make sure that's all copacetic and then use of proceeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the use of proceeds. Um, What's that? Sorry. What was that? What's use of proceeds? Is it like the money that they get? How do they use it? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you want to you want to look at uh, what their long term goals are, what their what their growth is like. Um, Assets versus liabilities. Yeah, a lot a lot of the ratios you could look at. um, It it really for me it's it's a it's a management decision. You want to see who's what their backgrounds like um and where they're going to take the company because ultimately that's why you're in it right you want to grow uh you want your options grow or you want to see your your private equity grow as well with the company um i mean most of the time they have a time frame on when they will go public or Mm -hmm. what their future plans are either to get bought out or uh you know acquired or or go public so you you want to make sure that that fits within uh the time frame of of your investment um, horizon. Um, you want to- yeah. And then there's also the physical due diligence. So he's talking, he's talked a lot about the actual PPM, which, which would be included the in the, the paper stuff. <laughs> and then a part of a big part of uh, private equity that is tangible items is that you can actually go them. So in the one of the private equity deals that we were in, um, it was actually a housing, a, ho- a housing development. And so we were able to go, the houses be built and then be sold and it was one of the coolest experiences because i got to be a part of seeing this entire subdivision being built from literally a big piece of land all due to the to these these investors and i mean it was really a very cool it was a really cool thing to see because it was and it was mass due due diligence it wasn't just this well it's a possibility these houses are being built you're literally seeing the houses be built and take pictures of the houses and then them 
price point they're exactly going to be sold at. Yeah. So that was also really a cool way to see like very tangible, very um, apparent to do diligence as well. Same with the oil. Yes, that's why we we've worked with a lot of um, very um, tangible items because in our a lot of the private equity owners can actually go and do a field trip like we we field trips down to LA quite often and we would go see the oil fields and everything else just to kind of see how everything was operating make sure it was valid and that's one thing that we uh, as private equity owners have over public is you can't just go walk into Apple and ask to talk to the president really then go ask to see all of their, every single thing in their entire company. You can't do that. Whereas a private equity person absolutely can. Yeah. That's a good point. You oh, want to make <laughs> the company wow. just a shed somewhere. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, of course. I mean, this reminds me of Wolf of Wall Street. Do you remember that scene? Where yeah. That's, he's told... that's funny. You mentioned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That guy is unbelievable. Wow. You can't believe that actually happened. Um, Okay, so let me ask you this question. So imagine, so what you just answered me was very, uh, thank you so much, by the way, for answering such uh, such comprehensively and in such great detail, because this is invaluable information for somebody who actually wants to understand money and un wants to understand investing. But the problem that rises from the answer is that if somebody goes, say, uh, let me paint you a picture. Somebody's listening to this, he's a school teacher and um, and he works all the time. H how, how, would they, how would they do physical, Physical and online due diligence, like how how would they go about managing this, or and, and and which one would you think needs more? Which due diligence is more important, the the physical one, actually going there and see the houses being built, like you said, Stephanie, or um, just looking at the balance sheet and looking at the assets versus liabilities and looking at who's running the company. So private equity, again, is not for everybody. So it's not for the general public. It's it's for people who are usually savvy investors who want to take additional time to really find something that's unique and different to get into that can make them a huge percentage gain. Also, they want to find the right firm that can refer their, uh, based off of their needs and goals, the right private equity for them. Okay, so we wouldn't want some teacher that is, you know, that is not really sure what they're doing and has, doesn't have any real serious um, in, investing or anything experience, we, we would want, you know, we, we if they're wanting to, to get into something like private equity, we would want to have, make sure that they're with the right private equity. So they would want to speak to somebody directly on exactly what they're looking for, making sure that it's what their needs and goals are too. Because again, if that person gets into something completely wrong for them, and they're doing, they're doing all the due diligence themselves, it could be a really big loss for them. Mm, you're right. You're right. Wow. Invaluable information. Th that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Um, and I Jenny, also have a question as well. If somebody's wondering, um, okay, I, uh, so somebody's looking at, okay, I have 10%, I have $500, I can invest, um, but I want to uh, I want to get, uh, obviously I will get return on my investment, but I want to use that return. So for example, if I invest $5,000 or $10,000 uh, and the return on investment is 10%, I want to, I want to be able to take that 10% out and use it. So IE a dividend stock is, is there a way, uh, and, and again, I'm looking into this right now because I, I'm a, I'm a sort of, a, I like I like properties. If I'm completely honest with you, I like buying properties, um, like w not with a company myself. Like I obviously have a company that buys properties. Um, and, and, and uh, the, the beauty of that is that obviously property like stocks, uh, like any other asset class actually goes up in value. And while it's going up in value, I'm getting returns as a way of rent, uh, literally like rich dad, poor dad. So the question becomes, can we get a dividend stock like that? And how do how do I, somebody like me, gets into it? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a ton of dividend stocks on the market. Um, I would be very cautious when it comes to that, especially, uh, I mean, depending on your goals, you really need to know what, what you're in it for. If you're going to be there long term, then you definitely want to reinvest those dividends. Um, and I'll pay, you know, 10, 20 fold. Um, just because that's essentially what compounding is for for a dividend stock. You know, you get more shares, it buys more shares, and over time, you buy more and more and more. Uh, just with those dividends alone. Um, so I would I would be cautious taking those dividends out for that reason because you'll forgo the compounding, and also because of tax liabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to states. I mean, you have to claim it as income for that year, and that could push you into another tax bracket. 
Um, so it may not be worth your while to take it out and spend it. I, mean, I was wondering, um, isn't it something called IRA that you guys have over there that yeah. you can that you can use that you can obviously take the money out and it won't be taxed, right? It will be. Um, it, oh, it, it will really well. IRA it is, but in a Roth it's not. So I'll let I'll let Austin talk about that. So, <laughs> so an IRA over here, there's, there's two different kind, well, two uh, main different kinds. There's a there's a traditional which is tax deferred, meaning you put money in straight from your, or you can deduct it from your taxes or straight from your paycheck. So it's not taxed until you take it out, and there's a um, a minimum age requirement for that, and it's very road. Um, a Roth is the other kind of IRA, individual retirement account. That's what IRA stands for. Um, so a Roth is the second kind, and that is uh, pre-tax or after-tax. I mean, excuse me, after-tax. So that means your money's already taxed, and the money you put in there could grow to whatever amount you wanted to, and you could take it out tax-free. That makes sense. Um, but there is requirements for both of those accounts. You can't just put money in and take it out. Um, you have to have, I mean, there's only. There's uh, a max per year too. Yeah, there's specific. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there's to a that. Lot, yeah. <laughs> but there's, but a there's a lot. To that. Uh, it's not just like a free account. You just throw money in and pull it out whenever you want. Um, it has to qualify for certain things. Like if you're buying your first your first home, you're able to take out 10000 from a Roth or something like that. And um they each have their own um, stipulations to them, but yeah. They, so basically, what are you saying? What, um, so what you what you're saying overall? If I was to summarize this in a nutshell of whatever we talked about, there is a lot of knowledge and financial literacy that is required, it, and it all boils down to your uh, mindset towards money. And if your mindset is investment savvy, if your mindset is that I'm going to grow myself and grow myself financially, then you will be keen to know about all of these things. But if you're not, and all you care about is buying meaningless stuff to fill your ego then you'll never be able to grasp or any of this information whatsoever doesn't matter how deep we go into it am i correct in saying that that was a great summation yes oh, cheers thank you okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, i guess i asked this question to stephanie in the last podcast but probably i'll ask austin as well austin tell me about your mission in life what what do you want to do with business finance with all the knowledge in, of investments that you have and now that the fact that you're a fiduciary you're an investment advisor you're doing incredible work where do you want to take yourself where do you see yourself going to yeah that's a we have enough time for that question uh-huh. <laughs> you take as much time as you need man yeah. no problem <laughs> um, so yeah where do i see myself going in life um <laughs> I, I Jeez, really, uh, have I opened a wormhole here? I have no yeah, idea. Why. I, I don't even know where to start with that. But um, yeah, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of this, it's I, I mean, my drive really is to help people financially, uh, whether that be literacy or, or just beginning a plan. Um, I've already started to teach financial literacy classes to high school kids. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really shaping the next generation. But um, yeah, I, I think it's for me. It's it's just really about focusing on that as my goal. And uh, I mean, I, I I like to assume the money will come along with that. I know that's kind of like haphazardly just guessing, but I, I think there is an importance to doing what's uh, what's your main uh, drive in life. I think there's happiness that comes along with that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to be a millionaire before well, I will be a millionaire by thirty. Um, Same. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, we'll talk it's good to have those goals, man. It's good to have those goals. I I know I know for a fact that I will be a millionaire by when I'm thir- by the time I'm thirty. Yeah, and um and uh, I don't know how old you are. I I know you, you're a guy, so I can actually ask you for your age. So tell me how old how old are you? Uh, twenty seven. Same. I'm twenty seven as well. So. So I I guarantee you, and I know that the, the knowledge you have, I think us millennials, uh, especially the uh, your type and my type, who are actually into business, who is into investing. I mean, it's a, it's an inevitable goal. When the, given the fact that where the market is right now yeah. and uh, how things are going, and how you and I actually um, invest money, 
Yeah. Um, I guarantee you. Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's a pr- pretty much guaranteed deal. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Tony Robbins actually talk about it in Money Master the Game. If you yeah, guys yeah. if you guys haven't talked about uh, read that book, I really encourage you to read it. He actually says that uh, being a millionaire is one of the easiest things that you can do. All you've got to do, all you need is self-control. And all you've got to do is, uh, he even talks about uh, uh, um, a cleaner in New York uh, invested his money for 35 years. And when he retired, he was 70 million rich. Yeah. And 35 million of that he gave to charity. Yeah. So, so that, I mean, it's that easy, believe yeah. it or not. So even a janitor can become a millionaire. But it's yeah. all about self-control. So you're absolutely right. I really, uh, I really appreciate you guys being here. I mean, that's such an enlightening experience. And and uh, Austin, it feels like I'm talking to myself when I talk to you, man. <laughs> I, just, I, just, <laughs> I just want to add that I, I admire your mindset, and I think it's a rarity uh, among oh, people. Oh, cheers! Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. You're too kind. I mean, that's that's very kind of you. I mean, I guess uh, great minds think alike. So yeah, if if go. I'm a rarity, so are you, my friend. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and 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 Stephanie, thank you so much for introducing me to Austin, and thank you so much for coming on. Your story is incredible, and I know a lot of women who listen to this will take a lot from this and will be inspired to follow in your footsteps. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. Yes, thank it was a you pleasure so meeting much. you. Cheers. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. This was Vital Educators Podcast by Ahmed Saki. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow or subscribe for more content every week.